that, uh, yes, Jesus died for us on the cross, but uh, yes, also, he was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. Death is not too hard of a problem uh, for God to solve. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul asks a great question, a question that's still relevant today, and here it is. He says, why is the thought incredible to any of you that God raises the dead? Why is the thought incredible, unbelievable to you that God raises the dead? And there's a lot of people for whom that thought is incredible, unbelievable. They refuse to believe that God raises the dead. And the Bible um, goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to explain to us that Jesus is just the first one to be raised from the dead and that all people uh, will eventually be raised. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12 uh, reads like this. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, and so forth. Why is it so incredible for people to believe that God raises people from the dead? Not only is Jesus coming back, okay, but on the day that he comes back, all true Christians who have died will be raised from the dead. Every chapter of Paul's letter to the Thessalonian uh, church there, 1 Thessalonians, ends with a reference to the return of Jesus. And uh, not just the return of Jesus, but our passage this morning explains What's going to happen on that day, that single day, when Jesus, in fact, comes back? Now, you know, I know that people have all different levels of recognition about what the Bible says about end times. But in the Old Testament, um, God revealed to a prophet named Daniel, an exceptional man, um, a timetable of his dealings with the nation of Israel. And uh, it's called the 70 weeks of Daniel, or the 77s or the 77-year periods of time. And I don't have time to explain the whole thing this morning, but 69 of those 70 time periods are already history in, in, in the life of the nation of Israel. And so there is this one seven-year period that's left. And it's that seven-year period that's the focus of so much of the prophecy about the return of Jesus because Jesus comes back in the context of that 70, uh, 70th seven or that 70th seven-year period of time. Uh, there's a gap between the 69 sevens, weeks, and then uh, when the, seventh be- the, the last one begins. And we are living in that gap today. Uh, we are living after the first 69, but before 
uh, that last seven-year period. And this seven-year period is a major focus in the scriptures. And many scriptures um, speak about this uh, seven-year period and divide it exactly in half, all right, right down to the day. There are many scriptures that testify that there's a, a first half, first three and a half years, and a second half to this seven-year period, and it's very distinctively uh, divided. And what divides it is what Jesus calls, and what Daniel called first, uh, the abomination of desolation. If uh, you want to follow along in your Bibles, in Matthew chapter 24 and uh, verse 15, uh, Matthew 24, Jesus talks about his return. And um, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus says, um, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the readers understand, okay, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and so on. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. Okay? So Jesus is saying right in the middle of this seven-year period, there is this uh, incident, this uh, situation uh, that's called the abomination of desolation. And then he gives a warning that that will be the onset of what he calls great tribulation. It'll be the worst trouble the world has ever seen. And um, notice that it comes in the second half of that seven-year period. It comes after the midpoint of that seven-year period. And it'll be such a terrible time that the next thing Jesus says in verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Okay? And so this great time of tribulation, I believe that this great tribulation will be cut short by the return of Christ when he comes back on that day that the Bible speaks about. And um, you need to recognize um, that when Jesus comes back on, on that day, two things will happen. Uh, first of all, um, imagine this day, um, but the first thing that happens is that all true believers will be taken off the earth, will be raptured, as we call it. And uh, because the second thing that happens is that God's wrath, or what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, spoken of by eight different prophets in the Old Testament, spoken of by Jesus, spoken of by Paul, spoken of by Peter, the, the day of the Lord is the day of God's wrath against everything that's evil and wrong and wicked in the world. And uh, when Jesus returns, so the church, the true church, will be taken out. Why? Because uh, we will never experience the wrath of God. Prior to this is really all of the tribulation, the great tribulation, is the work of Satan working through evil people. And uh, when you lay this seven-year period out and try to put everything together that the Bible says about it, you realize that the wrath of God is very different than the wrath of Satan. Right? Uh, working through evil men, the, the so-called Antichrist, and, and so on. And so one of the important things, it seems to me, uh, when it comes to kind of uh, putting these prophetic passages of Scripture together, is that you have to say that what Daniel has to say and what Jesus has to say and what the book of Revelation has to say has to all be the same thing. And one of the great uh, ways to study prophecy is to allow the Bible to be its own best commentary on itself, 
and uh, to compare these passages of Scripture and put them together in such a way so that they don't conflict. And so, like in the book of Revelation, if we go uh, to the uh, book of Revelation, we realize that um, in the book of Revelation, kind of the title deed uh, to uh, the world is uh, wrapped in a scroll, and it's sealed with seven different seals, as um, Revelation talks about it. And um, as each one of these seals is broken, there's uh, progression made through this seven-year period of time. And by the time we get to the sixth seal, um, it's the time for Jesus to come back. And so in chapter 6, verse 32, um, John is reporting what he sees. And uh, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth like fig tree sheds its uh, winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll uh, that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath, the wrath of the Lamb... For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Who can stand? It's the return of Jesus. Now, there's other places in the scripture, both Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus and Matthew chapter 24, that describe these kind of cosmic events that are happening in the sky and so forth. And then right after that, um, you know, Jesus comes back and uh, chapter 7, two things happen in Revelation chapter 7. The 144,000 Jewish people from the 12 tribes, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, are sealed and preserved. And not only that, but verse 9 says, uh, John says, After this I looked, and behold, this great multitude shows up in heaven. This huge gathering of people that nobody could number from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne of the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands who are these people verse 13 and then the elders addressed me saying who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come and I said sir you know and he said to me they are the ones coming out of the what great tribulation that Jesus had talked about that starts at the middle of the seven-year period. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Uh, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I think this is the raptured church that shows up in heaven, a multitude that nobody can number from every tribe and tongue and nation. And it just fits in the chronology. It fits with what Jesus uh, says in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, It's the raptured church. And then finally is the seventh seal, uh, which is uh, broken in chapter 8. And uh, there's silence in heaven for a half an hour. And then there is this horrible time of judgment, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, which pretty much destroy everything uh, that we're used to uh, on the earth. And um, it, it fits with what Jesus says. It fits with what Daniel says. Oftentimes, the word tribulation is used to describe the entire seven-year period of time. Um, but within those seven years, especially uh, that second half, there is what Jesus calls the great tribulation, okay, which starts at the very middle of this seven-year period. 
that is still left of Israel's history. And uh, it is uh, the abomination of desolation is um, when this figure in the Bible called the Antichrist, this world leader, all right, uh, sets himself up in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and demands the worship of the whole world. And uh, anybody who doesn't worship him, and you know, there's description of this in Revelation, anybody who doesn't take his mark, can't buy and sell anything, this great tribulation comes uh, against uh, Israel and, I believe, the church. And so this uh, tribulation, it's important to understand, is not coming from God, the first half, and uh, the first beginning part of the second half. It's coming from Satan. God allows it. God is warning us about it. There are many passages of Scripture that talk about it. He's warning us about it so that we can be ready for it. Uh, But this great tribulation is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is God's wrath. Prior to that is our enemy doing everything he can uh, to uh, unhook us from our faith. Uh, The day of the Lord uh, will be the end of uh, mankind's rebellion. Now, there are many uh, passages of Scripture, but let me just, uh, Joel, uh, the whole book of Joel really is about the great tribulation. And um, in Joel chapter 1 and verse 15, uh, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. The day of the Lord is God's wrath and God's destruction. It's not what's coming from the enemy. In um, chapter 2 of Joel, you know, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness uh, there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people, uh, their like has never been before, uh, nor will there ever be again after them. Uh, through the years of all the generations. And then you can read the description of what's going to happen after the day of the Lord uh, begins. So the day of the Lord is the opposite of what we might call the day of man, right? The day of man began in the Garden of Eden after Adam rebelled. And um, it's still going on today. And it will last until Jesus returns. It's the day that we're living in now. When God allows people to do whatever they want, And uh, most choose to rebel against him. Uh, But all of that will change on the day of the Lord, when the day of the Lord comes. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and so forth. But it won't be until people see this cosmic display and see the Lord coming in the clouds of the air. And um, they will be scared, you know, spitless when they see this whole thing happening. All of that will change. And uh, again... Lots of prophets speak about it. Everybody speaks about this. Now, it's against that backdrop, okay, that our passage for this morning uh, comes into uh, focus. In 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 4, well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me just read verse 9. You know, God has not destined us for wrath. God has not destined us for wrath. When God comes back in the person of Jesus and the day of the Lord begins and God's wrath gets unleashed, God has not destined us, right, for wrath. That's what Paul's saying. He already said the same thing in uh, chapter 1 and verse 10. He's praising these people because they're waiting for God's son to come from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. The wrath to come. 
uh, we will not experience God's wrath. Because why? We were just around the Lord's table where Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in our place. And so we will never experience the wrath of God. It's a great promise that God has given us. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemning uh, by God uh, for those of us who are in uh, Christ Jesus. There is no promise, however, uh, that we will ever be free from Satan's schemes until we are delivered off the earth. In fact, Jesus promised, you know, in the world you will have tribulation. The enemy's tribulation. The en- we all experience that already to some degree. The only thing is it's going to ramp up and be way more intense uh, at the end of time. But the wrath of God has been absorbed by Jesus on our behalf. And so the Bible speaks about the rapture of the church. The church will be caught up off the earth and rescued from judgment. One other uh, passage of scripture in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus again uh, speaks about this day when he's coming back. And um, in verse 24 of Luke 17, for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day when he comes back, okay? Uh, But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then here's, listen to what Jesus says. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Now think back to Noah's day. Jesus says they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Until the, that day, right? The, the same, the one day, it took Noah hundreds of years to build the ark, but then there was that day that he entered in. And what Jesus is saying is the same day that he was saved, which he's comparing, I'm comparing to the church being raptured, the same day, that's when it started to rain and judgment started to fall on the same day. And so uh, he says the same thing about um, Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah in verse Well, 28, likewise, Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day, on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I think the same day that Jesus comes back, the church is raptured, right? And the judgment of the day of the Lord begins on the same day, just like in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so the believers in the church in Thessalonica were confused because they're expecting the Lord to come back and they're looking forward to this day. But some of their church members died and uh, they weren't quite sure what happens to those people, uh, their loved ones who had died, and they thought that perhaps they were going to miss out on uh, the Lord's return. And so they were confused and they had questions and the questions came to Paul and Paul shoots back this letter, you know, to explain how it is that Jesus will come back. And so um, we're in chapter four and verse 13, first part of verse 13, Paul says this, we do not want you to be uninformed. Brothers, calls them brothers. We don't want you to be uninformed. Now, ignorance about spiritual things is never good for us or for anybody. Ignorance about spiritual things is never good uh, for us. Ignorance or being misinformed creates anxiety and discomfort and causes us to live way below uh, our privilege as believers. 
And so Paul says, you know, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to, there's many times where Paul says this in his letters. I don't want you to be ignorant about whatever he's writing about. I don't want you to be uninformed. Uh, second, he says, about those who are asleep. Um, sleep is used as kind of a metaphor for death. Uh, you might remember in um, John's gospel, in uh, John uh, chapter 11, uh, Lazarus died. One of Jesus' friends died. And um, in John chapter 11, uh, the disciples are asking him what he's uh, up to. And uh, Jesus says, you know, that um, Lazarus has fallen asleep in verse 11. Uh, after saying these things, uh, he said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go and wake him up. And uh, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover on his own. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was just sleeping and Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm going to go and raise him from the dead. But sleep is kind of a, a way uh, that the Bible uses to talk about death. And death is like sleep, at least in a couple of ways, um, in that uh, death is restful. Uh, the Bible talks about death as being uh, a time of rest. And uh, also it's uh, you know, a time that we wake up from. It's a time that we, to use Jesus' words, uh, recover from. And uh, death is, is simply the separation, we learn from the Bible, that death is the separation of our soul from our body. And uh, our body dies, but as we think of it, but our soul goes to be with the Lord. James 2.26 says, uh, uh, the body, apart from the spirit, is dead. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay. And uh, not only that, but in Luke 16, Jesus, you know, talked about two people who died and uh, presents them as being very conscious of what's going on uh, in their environment after they die. Both of them are very conscious in their afterlife. And so at death, our souls go to be with the Lord and uh, our bodies stay here. Second uh, Corinthians, <clears throat> again, chapter 5, Paul said, I'd rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord than to have my soul still in my body. Paul was really looking forward. You know, like these people in the Thessalonian church, they were looking forward. Again, in Philippians, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, I can't wait to come into all that God has promised. We sang this morning about the promises that God makes. And Paul is like, you know, I can't wait uh, to gain all that God has promised. Uh, promised me. And so, um, on the other hand, if we're, if we're not with Christ, if we, don't, if we aren't in Christ, uh, man, we have no hope. And the future is just dreary, and we're ignorant about it, and it's a black hole, and, and uh, it only gets worse. But in this passage, Paul's telling us and telling this church, look, don't be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And then the third thing he says here, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know, Christians grieve differently than everybody else, right? Um, we don't grieve as people who have no, no hope. Our funerals are different than the funerals of unbelievers. You know, we celebrate a person's life with the expectation that we're going to see them again and um, that they're going to a place that God has prepared for them and, and, and so forth. And so there's this huge difference. Verse 14 uh, explains what the difference is. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
Uh, here's the cool thing that we believe. When Jesus comes back on that day, right, when Jesus comes back, he will bring the souls of all the Christians with him. Okay? All the uh, people who have died and, and uh, are buried and who we think of as dead, whose souls are with the Lord, he will bring all of those souls uh, with him. And um, th- this is kind of exciting. And that's the day uh, that they will be raised from the grave and reunited uh, with their resurrection body. Uh, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. The dead in Christ will rise. So here comes Jesus. You know, you have all this cosmic stuff going on with the sun and the moon and stars falling and all kinds of stuff happening. And people are scared of what's going on and what's happening. And, and uh, here comes Jesus. And with him are the souls of all these people who are reunited with their resurrection body. Or I should say united with their new resurrection body and uh, raised up uh, to meet the Lord in the air. What a great day that's going to be. And uh, notice, if you will... Um, when Jesus comes back, uh, he'll not only uh, bring the souls of believers with him. And it's hard to imagine a soul without a body, isn't it? I mean, don't you have, it's, it's weird. But you don't have to worry because it won't be long. It's going to happen fast. And um, I skipped the 15th verse, but in verse 15, uh, Paul is saying, Look, for we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, I love this. Paul says, I'm telling you this by a word directly from the Lord. This isn't speculation on my part. This isn't wishful thinking. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of ideas that people put out in the media and whatnot. We have, you know, uh, philosophers and poets and mediums and scientists, and everybody has theories about, you know, what's going to happen. But here we have a direct word from the Lord. This is how it's going to be. This is what's going to happen. And it comes straight from uh, the Lord. And, you know, it's just an exciting thing to uh, think about some of these things. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, Paul writes to this church, he says, listen, our citizenship is really in heaven. We're here on earth temporarily, but where our home address is, is in heaven. Our citizenship uh, as believers is in heaven. And from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, these tents that we're living in, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. When Jesus comes back, you bring the souls of people who have died and they will be uh, united with their resurrection body. And you know what? It's going to happen fast. It's not like, you know, this is going to be a long process. In 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 51, again, Uh, This is a great chapter on the resurrection, but listen to what uh, Paul says. Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all sleep, stay dead, but we will all be changed, okay? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, For this perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
what a great day, you know, that's going to be. Uh, think about uh, being, imagine, allow your imagination to just, you know, kind of go to that day and ask yourself, you know, uh, are you ready? Are you ready for that day? Uh, are you living in anticipation of that day? There's one other passage I wanted to share with you along these lines. In uh, Matthew chapter 27, there's a passage of scripture that I don't know that uh, everybody uh, even uh, is aware of this, but um, this goes to the uh, Good Friday, to the day of crucifixion. And uh, verse 50 says, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Jesus cries out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. He died. Okay? Next verse. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in half from top to bottom, Uh, It used to be that only the high priest once a year could go behind the veil, you know, and approach God in the Holy of Holies. But now the curtain was ripped in half to provide access to God through Jesus. And uh, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. The earth shook. There was an earthquake. Rocks were split in half. And listen to this. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. (laughs) This is like a prelude to that day and what it's going to be like. I mean, imagine. Imagine if you were alive in this time and let's say your parents or a good friend had died five years before. And you're sitting down to have supper and you're talking about the events of Good Friday. and, And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and you open the door and dad is there. And he's like, hey, what's for supper? I mean, how cool would that be? It says, many saints who had died rose up from their tombs and came into the city. And uh, the next verse says, when the centurion those, uh, and those who were over Jesus, keeping watch over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and what took place, and what took place, uh, they were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Wow. I think it's going to be that kind of day when Jesus comes back. And all the people from the graves will be united with their uh, resurrection body. What a great day uh, that's going to be. And again, it's going to happen fast in the twinkling of an eye. And if you don't know this stuff ahead of time, if you're not looking forward to this day, if it just so happens that we're alive when Jesus comes back, if we're clueless about this day and we don't have any clue what's going on because we haven't paid attention, just like how many of the Jewish people missed the first coming of Jesus? Because they didn't study the scriptures and they didn't believe what, they, uh, were, what God was trying to give them. You know, most people don't believe in a resurrection. When in, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul was in Athens and he's explaining the gospel and uh, all of a sudden you remember, uh, you know, he gets to talking about the uh, resurrection and, uh, and the people are like, you know, we'll hear you some other time. Or, you know, they, they kind of mocked him, it says in uh, Acts chapter 17. Usually I have all these marks so that I don't waste time. Um, in Acts chapter 17, uh, l- listen to this. The times of ignorance God has overlooked. Oh, what a gift. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness, uh, the day of the Lord, uh, by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, 
But others said, well, we'll hear you some other time. And Saul, so Paul went out from their midst, uh, and, and some believed. It's still true today, isn't it? When you try to bring up the subject of resurrection and life on the other side of this life, uh, some people will mock. Some people say, I'll talk about this some other time. People are intimidated to talk about the reality of one of the great gifts that comes to us uh, with our salvation. Why is it thought incredible, Acts 26, 8, uh, by any of you that God raises the dead? Why is that so unbelievable? And uh, by the way, you know, resurrection is not reconstruction. I think it will happen like that because it's not like Jesus has to come back and go find all the molecules of this body and put it all back together. Resurrection is not like reconstruction. I don't have time uh, to really uh, go back, but in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 and following, uh, you can read about it there, about the kind of body that will will receive and so forth. In fact, I'm totally out of time, but um, let me just read the rest of this. You know, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, a shout of command, with the voice of an angel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Not only will the return of Jesus be spectacular visually when all of these cosmic things happen in the sky, but it'll be spectacular audibly. There will be a shout. I don't know what the shout is. Scripture doesn't say. I think it'll just be, wake up, you know, everybody. You know, come on. The day is short, you know. Uh, But it'll be uh, a shout of command, and then it'll be like the voice of an angel. And it'll come with a trumpet sound of God. And, uh, And then we who are alive and are left, after all that happens, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord and therefore encourage. A couple of things in this verse, you know. um, First of all, the word caught up, it means to be sort of whisked up. When my uh, daughter was little, she had a Sunday dress that was blue with white polka dots, and it was my favorite dress. I just love this uh, little dress on her. And um, uh, when, when the kids would just grow so fast, all the parents would exchange clothes because the kids kept growing and uh, unbeknown to me, my wife had given away this little blue dress, you know, to somebody else. And a couple Sundays later, this little kid goes running by me in that little blue dress. I thought it was my daughter. And uh, she was by me before I just saw it from the back. And so I ran after her and I whisked her up. I just grabbed her and I, I was going to give her a hug. And I turned the kid around and the kid looked at my face and let out bloody scream. Just, ah! You know, like I had kidnapping her or something. I just put her down and said, go, you know, and. But just whisking somebody up uh, will be caught up by the Lord into the air. I think that's kind of the sense of this word. And look, we'll be caught up together. I don't think there'll be time, but if there was time, I think I'd run down to the cemetery where my best friends are or where my parents are and, and wait for them to rise so that I could meet them, you know? But I don't think there'll be time. We'll be caught up, but we'll be together. That'll be the day we, we get to see each other again. People who have gone before us will be together with them in the clouds and we'll meet the Lord. Now we live by faith, then we'll live by sight. And look, it'll be forever, that verse says. Finally, something that doesn't change. <laughs> Finally, a body that doesn't give out and, and wear out and, and so forth. And we'll be together forever and, uh, and, and, and therefore encourage each other with these words. We don't grieve like the rest of the people who have no hope. All right. I, I know I'm out of time. I'm just going to, one last thing. Um, I read about this gravestone in England in a cemetery. And here's what it said on it. It said, pause, my friend. 
as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare, my friend, to follow me. Are we prepared? A visitor came by that cemetery and added these two lines. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father God, this is such a great passage of scripture, such a great day to look forward to. And uh, I pray that you'll help us as we unpack more scriptures around these themes, that you'll uh, create an understanding in us that will give us a comfort, that will take away anxiety, that will create hope, uh, that will make us praise you and love you more than we do today as we anticipate you being faithful to your promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen.